for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are going through the book of Mark chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are in, we're actually finishing, God willing, we're finishing this morning, Mark chapter, we're in chapter 14, and we, let's, I tell you what, okay, verse We got as far. We got as far as verse 38. So I'm going to go to verse 39. It's a little odd. Jesus prays three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we got to the second time last weekend, last Sunday morning. Verse 37, rather, uh, verse 39 says, Again... He went away and prayed and spoke the same words. This is speaking about Jesus here. And when he, Jesus, returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. Let's pray. Father, we are here, Lord, not to just hear again familiar words. Lord, we are here to, to change, to have our hearts be subject to your, your hand with a scalpel, that perfect surgeon that you are. I speak to my own heart, Lord. Do surgery on my heart. I need it, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would do that very thing by your Holy Spirit. I pray that I wouldn't be a hindrance to you doing your, your wondrous work in the hearts of these, your precious people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be, a, you may be seated. Anyone else need a Bible? Anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. Spanish or English Bible? Anyone? So my prayer again for today is that by the time we finish here, you will love Jesus Christ more than you ever have in your life. That's my prayer. So here we are. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion, or you could say it's probably the very early morning 
after midnight, one or two in the morning. Last week, we were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, a gripping scene, a stunning scene, a staggering scene of Jesus, God the Son, praying to God the Father. We see in, we saw rather in verse 33, he entered the time of prayer troubled and deeply distressed. In verse 34, he tells Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Verse 35 says that Jesus then fell to the ground. The book of Matthew says he fell on his face. And then he prayed in verse 36. He prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. The next thing that happened, we saw this last week, it's one of the most unusual scenes in the Bible. Jesus, he's fully God, but remember he's also, he's also fully man. He goes to Peter in verse 37, and he's really, he's seeking out some kind of comfort from Peter. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's packed with examples of man and woman going to Jesus seeking some kind of comfort. Here you see Jesus, the only time I know of, where he is seeking out comfort from a man. And he finds the man asleep. Verse 37 says, Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not um, watch one hour to watch and pray. Can you not pray with me for one hour? And then he goes again. Verse 39 says, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And we saw this last week. This is the second time he's praying. In Luke chapter 22, we, we saw this verse. Do we have that verse, Dave? We said, it says, And being in agony, he, Jesus, prayed the more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke 22, 44. So what's going on? Well, we talked about it last week. Listen up. We talked about it. If you weren't here, it'd be good to listen to the message. They're online. But what's going on? <laughs> Jesus in great agony. He's even seeking out the comfort from a man. This is what was going on. Your sin, your guilt, your shame, your sorrow is being laid on him. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Your sin is going on him and, he, and, and it's causing an agony. He's got the sin of the whole world, past, present, and future on him. He, he's sweating drops of blood. He's in agony. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see Jesus on his face crying out to the Lord for strength, 
more vulnerable than we've ever seen him. Even, he's, we even see him seeking out Peter. And so last week, again, we ran out of time. We finished um, after Jesus praying a second time. He returns to his disciples, finds them sleeping again, prays a third time, then comes back, and in verse 41, um, you can read it with me. It says, then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he, Judas, kissed him. Now, in the book of Matthew, it says that Jesus actually had a response to Judas. Judas, remember, one of the 12, one of his 12 apostles, betraying him here. Betrayal had already happened. He's kissing him here. He comes up to Jesus. This is what Matthew said that Jesus said to Judas. Friend, why have you come? Now, this is a deep verse. I mean, you could meditate on it a few days and you still not get to the bottom of it. Friend, why have you come? No hostility, no animus, no anger, just a what? A broken heart. Jesus had broken bread with Judas. He loved him. He laughed, wept, taught, ministered to him for three years. And now Jesus is looking at Judas with the full view of his eternity. It's the flames of hell. He, he looks at him. His few, uh, full view of his uh, eternity in full view and it breaks his heart. Friend, what are you doing? Why are you here? I want you to walk out of here loving Jesus more than you've ever loved him. Let's continue in verse 46. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. Now important, important, in the book of John. The book of John says... Remember, this, this story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Great, anytime you're doing a Bible study in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, to flip around to the other one, seeing what the other one says. Great way to read the Bible, to study it, to take it all in. The book of John says that prior to their laying hands on Jesus, something else happened. 
You guys remember what it was? Here it is, right here. It says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them. So he went, goes up to the crowd that is arresting him. And, and he said to them, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. Now when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am here, that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. So the reason I'm bringing this out briefly here is that there's a sermon here in Mark 14, where we're in this morning, about prayer. I could give the whole sermon on prayer. You, you know I like talking about prayer. But, but, but we're not going there except for a few moments here to, just to tell you, read this, what, what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read it, read it, read it, and read it because it's an instruction manual on prayer. Lord, what can I learn from prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane? It's actually a huge encouragement to me reading about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes into his prayer from a place of incredible sorrow. I've gone into prayer like that. Incredible sorrow. It says even to death it said. Incredible stress, so much stress, there's blood in his sweat. Incredible vulnerability and weakness. You know, he goes to Peter for comfort. But listen, he comes out with confidence and strength. He comes out with confidence and strength. Notice in verse 42 of Mark 14, um, it, it, it says, rise, let us be going. And he wasn't talking about going as in running away, <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. Let's go hide behind an olive tree. That's not what he says. He, he's talking about going to them, and, and that's what he does. We see and read in the book of John. He says, I'm the one you're looking for. Let these guys go. I am he. The strength and confidence. What happened to that? He goes in in a place of weakness. The Bible says that Jesus at times was weak. In 1 Corinthians, or rather 2 Corinthians, I believe it's is it chapter 15. He was crucified in weakness. He goes into prayer in a place of weakness. He comes out in a place of strength, so much strength that the multitude, which by the way included Roman soldiers, when he said, well, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for, they fall down. Such, a th such strength and authority. And I can't tell you how many times I've entered into a time of prayer the same way, a troubled, sorrowful spirit, and I emerged strengthened. This is the very thing you read in the book of Psalms, which is an, also an instruction manual on prayer. Psalm 13 says this, it says, how long, O Lord, Psalm 13 verse 1, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long, Lord, will I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? But it ends 
with this, David saying, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now you may say, well, I, I don't know that that's happened when I have a greatly troubled spirit. Did you fall on your face? I pray at Calvary Chapel in the city we'd be a little bit more prone to falling on our face like Jesus did as our example. And so you see that anyway, uh, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's go back to um, chapter 14 here in our study. Let's go to, uh, now to verse 47. Verse 47. It says, one of those who stood by and now we know this from the book of John, that this was Peter. He drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now we know from Matthew that Jesus said, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will perish by the sword. And how else can the prophecy be fulfilled? So uh, he ends that nonsense right there. Same kind of nonsense when, that we do when we cut off the ears of people telling them about the Lord. In the book of Luke, the last miracle recorded, Jesus puts the ear back on. Verse 48, let's continue. Then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out? So he's speaking to the multitude. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. So again, we had just seen him in the Garden of Gethsemane in a place of great weakness praying, but now he's speaking to the multitude with power. Verse 50. It says, then they all forsook him and fled. That's speaking of his own disciples there. All of Jesus' followers, all of them forsook him and fled. And again, just a few hours earlier, what did we see? Uh, they had been standing up competing with one another. I will never forsake him. I will never, 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 never forsake him. Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if you think you are standing firm, take heed, be careful, lest you fall. Speaking of an overconfidence rooted in pride. We can be confident in Christ. The Bible says that. But oh, how pride comes in. And we start playing the fool and behaving as if we're strong in and of ourselves. That there's something special about us. And God will see to it that we fall so that we can get usable again. Verse 50. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young, man, the, the young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. So this story is only found in Mark. It leads many Bible commentators to think it was Mark, that um, this was him. And uh, Spurgeon does a whole sermon on this. He's a famous 
19th century British pastor. I won't do that, but I will tell you this. This is about the best you can do if you try to follow Jesus in your own strength rather than in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You'll just run away from the work of God naked. It's a good illustration of that. Better to live by the power of God. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse um, 3, that the, God, the Father, your Father, loves to give you the Holy Spirit. You, the child of God, it says. Let's go to verse 53. And then they led Jesus away to the high priest. So he's going to have at least three trials. The first one is a trial with religious authorities. And that's what's happening here. God willing, next week we'll go to the trial with a, with a Roman governor. It says, They led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, meaning the leaders of the people, and the scribes. Scribes were people who wrote religious laws. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him. In other words, they lied about him. But their testimonies did not agree. Then some arose and bore false witness, meaning they lied against him, and they said this, we heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Now why was this a lie? Anyone want to shout it out? Wow, I'll be impressed if you get this right. Why is this a lie? Anyone want to shout it out? So someone comes up, and they said, I will destroy the sea. They said, verse 58, we heard him, Jesus, say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Anyone know why that's a lie, why that's false? Anyone? This is a really hard one. I'm sorry. I get my, my children mad when I, when I say things that are just quiz that is so hard. What, do you have it? Okay, okay, <laughs> good job, almost. Anyone else have it? Why is this a lie? Because he never said, I will destroy this temple. He said, you, when you destroy this temple. See, that was an unfair question, I, I'm sorry. But anyway, here it is right here. It's in the book of John. He had said this. He said, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? He had just gone into the temple and overturned the money changers, uh, got the cattle and, and took a whip and got them out of there. And they came up to them. What, what miracle are you going to show us to, um, since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Now that, that's speaking about his body, the temple speaking about his body. Destroy this temple, meaning 
he, this is a prophecy. He, there, you guys are going to destroy my body. Of course, they don't really know he's talking about his body. But destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up, referring to his resurrection. So, let's continue. In verse 59, uh, it says this, but not even then did their testimony agree. In other words, they still had different stories about even that saying um, um, of Jesus. Uh, and, and then in, uh, let's continue in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in, in the midst and asked Jesus. This is really important. Oh, wow, it doesn't get much more important than this. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? Verse 61, but he kept silent and answered nothing. Now why? Why does he keep silent? Why does he keep silent? Anyone want, that's an easier one. Is that an easier one? Prophecy, very good. Do you see? All right. Here's the prophecy. Um, in Isaiah 53, it says of the one who would be the Christ, the Savior of the world, you'll recognize him because at, at he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, to the killing. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So um, one reason was prophecy. Could there be another reason? I believe there was. Why Jesus does not respond to the false accusations. And this is what I believe it is. I believe it's that, again, he's bearing the weight of your sin at this moment. So if he is accused at this point of being of lying, cheating, stealing, whatever, it's all true, because you did it. And I did it. The Bible says that, Jesus says really, on the, on, on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, whoever looks at a woman with lust or a man with lust is guilty of adultery. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 22, if you're angry, you're murdering in your heart. That's God's standard. You're guilty. Your guilt, my guilt, it's on Jesus at this point in Mark 14. Yes, God loves you that much that, that he put your guilt on Jesus Christ so when these guys are saying you're a murderer, you're an adulterer, you're a whatever, he's silent because you are guilty. I want you to leave here loving Jesus more than you'd ever loved him. So he kept silent, verse 61, verse 61, and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Book of Matthew says, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? Jesus answered, and he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power 
speaking of God the Father, and coming with the clouds of heaven. So why does, Je why does Jesus answer like that? Well, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament gave this prophecy of the Christ. He gave this prophecy of the Christ. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. This is Daniel speaking, and he says, I was watching in the night visions. This is written about 500 years before Jesus' birth. This is Daniel speaking, book of Daniel. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, by the way. He called himself the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So here in Mark 14, Jesus responding to the high priest quotes the book of Daniel, and by doing that, everyone there knows what he's doing. He's saying, I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. Let's pick up in verse 63. Verse 63 says this, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. The blasphemy is an insult or an outrage against God or his word. You have heard the blasphemy. So he's speaking to the other priests there, the, the, the elders, the scribes. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. So Jesus is condemned to death here for saying he is the Son of God. For saying he is the Christ. For saying he's the Savior of the world. And because he is condemned to death, you're not. Verse 65. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Did you ever wonder why God would allow his only begotten son to be spit upon? The reason for that is because your sin is really ugly and it deserves to be spit upon. And your sin is on him at this point.
You have told the Lord, maybe not with your words, but with your actions, that you want to be the God of your own life. Again, maybe not with your words. Some of you may be with your words, but you've done this, wanting to be in control, wanting to choose what you want. When rubber meets the road, you've done, you said to God, no, no, I'll take this. And you've said no to the Lord. I've done the same thing. Your sin, my sin, ugly so ugly it's worthy of being spat upon. And that's what's going on here. Your sin on Jesus being spat upon. Your sin is, is also worth being beaten. It says he's beaten. Verse 65. And then it says the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. My prayer for you is that you would see the connection between your sin and Jesus' suffering. My prayer is also this, that you will see how much God loves you from all this. How much God loves you. Ephesians 3 in Ephesians um, 3, there is a prayer for you, for you, and it's this. I pray that you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That's what we're, that's what we're reading about today. <laughs> we're reading about the love that passes knowledge. We don't even get love like this. So Paul is praying to the church in Ephesus, but it's a prayer for you. It's God's prayer for you. It's the Holy Spirit's prayer for you. That you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You know, there's some of you uh, that you can't get out of your sin, and I pray for you, and you're still in your sin, and you know when there's addiction or whatever, there's really really one hope I have, and that is that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, because you'll get out of your sin when you know the love of Christ. Getting it out. Not, not, not because the Bible says, thou shalt not do this. No, not that. Because you understand God loves you. Okay, I got to get out of this. Because they, when they were spitting on Jesus Christ, they were spitting on really me, except he was there in my place. And they were beating him. That you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul knows how to pray. Study his prayers in Colossians and Ephesians. The guy knows how to pray, and, and, and Philippians as well. And I think there's a great one in First Thessalonians. Hebrews says this, chapter 12, verse 2 of Hebrews because of the joy awaiting him, him being Jesus, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Because of the joy, the joy of what? I do believe part of that joy is the joy 
of being back in the bosom of the Father, but there's a, the fuller two joys just speaking because of the joy of being with you. He endured and he disregarded the shame. He's a picture of complete self-control here. You know, you look at the New Testament and other than Jesus, one name comes to mind as just a spiritual superstar. It's like, wow, what an example of the Apostle Paul. Do any of you remember what he did when he was be- <laughs> hit in front of the high priest? Anyone, anyone remember what he did in the book of Acts? And this guy is, man, he's a model of spirituality. Remember what he said? That's right, you whitewashed wall. And he just said it with anger in his heart. And that's one of the best examples of Christian maturity. He's fallen there, and, and he actually repents. And that's it, 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 when, he, when he's told, he's speaking to the high priest. But, but Jesus is a picture of self-control here. Strength that he got from his time of prayer in the garden. But he's in a picture of self-control because he loves you so much. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. At this time, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in verse 66 through 72, and that's um, Peter's denial. He denies um, Jesus three times. We were in that a couple weeks ago. But let's just end here this morning with chapter 15, verse 1. It says, immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. That's the Sanhedrin. That's the judicial, religious judicial council there of the Jews. And they bound Jesus. They tied him up or chained him. And they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate, who was the Roman governor. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ to go to the cross and die for your sins. He lived a perfect life because he wants to see you in heaven someday. Heaven requires perfection. And Jesus lived a perfect life in order to credit that perfection to your account when you say, come in, Jesus, come into my life. Bible says in Revelation 3.20, knocks at the door of your heart. Anyone who opens up, he'll come in and dine with you. That speaks of relationship. But he not only lived for you, he died for you. Every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, future, Again, that laying on process begins, I believe, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's called the Passion, ends on the cross. Last thing he said on the cross was, it is finished, meaning, in the Greek, it's tetelestai, meaning it's, 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 it's a commercial term that they, the, the um, merchants used to stamp on a bill to, to tell us, die. It's done. It's paid for. It's finished. What's paid for? Everything that you need in order to enter into a relationship with God, which the Bible says you enter into freely, not by trying to be good enough, because no one's good enough. 
but just going to the Lord and saying, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm done playing God's substitute. Be my God. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus, come in as my Lord and Savior. If you have never done that, if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life to be your master, your friend, your king, come on up during this closing worship song. Why don't you stand up now? Everyone can stand up. We're going to sing a closing worship song. Or if you have anything else you would like to pray about, we're up here to pray. If the Lord has stirred your heart in any way, if you've come in here, you want to pray, we're here to pray. Come on in. At this, come on up at this time. We'll pray for you. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would Lord, continue what you have started, Lord. Thank you for this picture. It's, a, it's as gruesome as it is beautiful, Lord. Your love for us, Lord. We thank you. And we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. the chasm that lay between us I'll hide the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into Anyone want prayer? Please come up now. If the Lord's drawing you and you're thinking, whoa, that's scary getting up in front of all those people, that fear is not from God. Come up, we'll just be here, we'll pray for you. You can share specifics or you don't have to share any specifics, we'll pray for you. Then through the darkness
God bless you. If you need prayer, there'll still be some couples up here. God bless you. You are dismissed.